Well, this probably is no surprise to you, but there's a lot of useless information floating around the internet. A lot of it. And as I was thinking about Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, I started to think about useless information, not because Hebrews is useless information, actually quite the opposite. Forgive me while I get myself together here so I can actually advance slides. But Hebrews chapter 10 is, is not useless. It's, it's actually the application of what our author has been driving at throughout this in, entire last two chapters, specifically, and really the, much of the book. It's the preacher of Hebrews, because that's really what Hebrews is. When we think about it, it's less of, the, of, a, of an epistle, the way that Paul would have written a, an epistle to a church, a letter to a church to address a specific thing. It's, it's more than that. It's, it's, it's a, a sermon. And as the author is writing, he's writing as a preacher would preach. And so he's going to write about the doctrine and the theology. And we've been studying that in chapters 9 and 10 about the death of Jesus being greater than the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And then he comes down to chapter 10 and in verses 19 through 25. He's going to begin to drive that home and say, here's why this matters. But like I said, there's a lot of information out there on the Internet that just doesn't matter. Like, um, how about this one? There's no number from 1 to 999 that contains the letter A. If you spell out the number, none of them between 1 and 999 contain the letter A. It doesn't matter at all. It doesn't make any difference in your life at all. But there you go. You now know that. Where's Juan? Juan, where are you at? Do you know what's unique about the king of hearts in a deck of cards? The king of hearts is the only king in a, an entire deck of cards that does not have a mustache. I wonder why. I don't know. I don't know, but the king of hearts, no mustache. So there you go. Another useless bit of information for you that's not going to help you. Or there's this one. The word dreamt is the only English word in the, the English language that ends in an MT. Any of you guys playing Wordle these days? Any of you guys try Wordle? No? You should try it. It's addictive. Um, it's a word game. You try to guess. You've got six, uh, a six-letter word and you've got, or five-letter word, and you've got six chances to, to guess it. And uh, yeah, dreamt. Dreamt is the only English word in the English language that ends in MT. You, anybody know what a group of hippos is called? No, because you've managed to get through life without that information so far. It's called a bloat. A group of hippos is, is called a bloat. Um, so if somebody says, man, I, I feel really bloated, I don't know if that's where it comes from. Do you guys know there's a fear of beards? Santa Claus must be terrifying for these people, right? Growing up as a child. If you have paganophobia then you have a fear of beards. More useless information for you, unless that happens to be you. And if you're in the room, now you know what you are. You're weird. But you have a label for your weirdness, and that is paganophobia. Here's a, a few more. Alaska is the only state whose name can be typed in a single row on the keyboard. You're welcome for that. Do you know that your fingernails on your dominant hand grow faster than the fingernails on your non-dominant hand? So there's that bit of useless information. And then my favorite. This is my favorite one. Okay. When you think Disney, you think like Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse. You think, you know, nice princesses and characters. This is my favorite Disney stat ever, ever. Mulan has the highest kill count of any Disney character. <laughs> there you go. The avalanche that she triggers killed 2,000 men in one fell swoop. And she had wiped out 2,000 prior to that as well. So you think of Mulan, and you don't think of her as like the, the, a terrifying figure, but she's killed more people than any other Disney character. But again, that's not necessarily useful information for us. But when we come to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, we come to him taking everything that he's been talking about, about the, the glorious reality, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf, and now he's bringing the plane in for a land. Now he's beginning to take it and now apply it to our lives and say, and here's what this means for you. Here's why this matters for you. Here's the difference this makes in your life. And so as the preacher is getting to the point of application, I would encourage us to pay attention and to perk up. There's two dangers in preaching that have to be avoided at all costs. The first is a message that's all doctrine and no application. This is the message that takes the dump truck of the pastor's study and just 
brings it and, and unloads it and just lays it all out and says, here's all of the details. Here's all of the verse by verse. Here's the Greek stuff and the Hebrew stuff and the language stuff and the grammar stuff and everything else. Here it is. Now, we're going to just trust the Holy Spirit's going to take that and apply that to your life. That's an error that we have to avoid in preaching. The other error that we have to avoid in preaching is a message that's all application without any supporting doctrine. You've got to be careful not to preach what we want, but what the Word says. Thankfully, the author of Hebrews is a master at balancing doctrine and application in his letter. And we begin to to get into the application in verse 19. Pick up in verse 19. Nathan read it earlier. Let's read it together. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have a confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. I know there's a comma there, but we're going to stop for a minute. He begins with a reminder of some key doctrines that he's just been covering for us already. We have confidence to enter the holy places. Remember the, the diagram of the, the temple that we've had up there the past few weeks, where you've got the holy of holies that's cut off, that's separated from the, the Israelite people, that only the high priest was allowed to go in there, and not only once a year, and he had to bring the blood of bulls and goats before he went in to the holy of holies, right? Well, the author is saying, now because of what Jesus has done for us, we have this confidence to enter the holy places. Hebrews chapter 4, we can draw near to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need because of our great high priest. We have this confidence as he goes on in our passage by what? By the the blood of Jesus. We have the, the greater sacrifice, the greater offering that Jesus offered, not just the blood of bulls and goats. He didn't offer that at all. In fact, he offered his own blood. He offered himself And that's what opens the door for us to be able to enter into the holy places. We now enter them, it says, by the new and living way. The word new there in the the Greek, it means fresh, recent. It's a way previously unknown, previously inaccessible that now has been brought to, to bear. Now has been opened up for us. And it's not just a new way, but it's also, he says, a living way. John chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well, uh, Jesus is talking to her and he says this, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Later in John chapter 4, verses 13 through 14, Jesus said to her, look, everyone who drinks of this water, physical water from this well, you're going to be thirsty again. He says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will, well, will become in him a, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Living water. The contrast there is between the stagnant water of this, this well that was dug into the ground, this pit that would hold rainwater, but it wasn't fed by a living spring. And Jesus is saying, well, do, you, do you want this? Or do you want living, fresh, clean, crisp, pure water that is never going to end? He is the the living way. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it in abundance. Have an overflow of life, Jesus says. That's why he's there. So we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way. And we also, he says, have a great priest over the house of God. That's been what we've been looking at, right? That's Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Again, he's reminding us of the doctrine reminding us of the truth, reminding us of the reality that we have this high priest, that the holy places are open to us now, that we can draw near now, that we can enter in by the blood of Jesus through the curtain that is his flesh that he, was, uh, he has offered up for us and on our behalf. And the question now is, what are we going to do with that knowledge? How are we going to respond to these things? It's the so what part of preaching, and we have to get there. If the preacher never gets to the so what, then he hasn't done his job. And we've been given so much information from this preacher that if we stop short of the application, we are in trouble when it comes to our responsibility before the Lord. Consider this in Luke chapter 12, verses 47 through 48. 
says, and that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what, was, what deserved a beating will receive a, a light beating. He's talking about a difference in what qualifies for judgment here, the severity of judgment. He's saying the one that knew better and still did wrong, still disobeyed, that's a severe beating. Jesus is saying the one that didn't know and did wrong will receive a lighter beating. But here's the point I want to drive home. Everyone to whom much was given, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Y'all, here's the reality. By nature of the fact that you attend this church, that you are sitting in this room tonight, that you have a Bible on your phones or in your laps or whatever it may be, much has been given to you. And as we've spent the last two weeks studying Hebrews chapter 9 and 10 and the greatness of the sacrifice of Jesus for us, if we don't do something with that, if that doesn't impact our lives, we're going to have to answer for that before the Lord someday, before the one who died for us someday. So what is required of us? What does he want us to do? What should we do with the glorious realities of, of chapters 9 and, and, and 10 up until this point that we've just covered? What should we do that we have this confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus? What should we do now? What do you want from us, author of Hebrews? What's the application? What's the takeaway? What's the so what? First thing he wants us to do tonight, y'all, is this. Let's draw near to God. And you might think, wow, that's, that's what the text actually says. Yeah, and you might think, well, that's a lazy point. Fair enough, but I can't say it better than that. Like the first thing that we got to do is we got we to gotta pursue intimacy with God. You got to want a relationship with the Father. You got to want a relationship with Jesus. You got to want to love Jesus more than you love him right now. To never be satisfied with how much you love Jesus. But to always set yourself to love him more. Hebrews 10, 22. Here, here it is. Let us then draw near. Let us approach because the way has been opened. Let's take advantage of this. Let's draw near with a true heart. You don't have ulterior motives. You're not playing a game. You're not two-faced here. You're all in. Let's draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. We don't need to fear being rejected. Why? Because the merit's not ours. It's Jesus's. The righteousness that we're claiming is not our righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. So let us draw near in true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Remember, he talked about how the blood of bulls and goats cannot cleanse our conscience. It can't deal with our main issue, which is an internal issue. The heart of the issue is a heart issue. Animal sacrifices don't deal with that. Animal sacrifices can't give me a new heart. They can't give you a new heart. Y'all, your external acts of obedience, your good works cannot deal with your heart. You need God to deal with your heart. Well, the writer's saying, he's reminding us, hey, he has dealt with our heart. Through Jesus, through the new covenant, we've received a new heart. He's taken the heart of stone and given us heart of flesh. He has cleansed the evil conscience and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So then let us draw near. Do y'all realize, those of you who have said, man, I wish I had a closer relationship with God, that the only thing stopping you from that is you? That the way is open. If you want to be closer with the Lord, there's nothing holding you back but you. There are some clubs that are difficult to get into. Places difficult to, to gain access. Club 33 in Disneyland. You guys have probably heard of it, right? You've probably walked by the door and seen it and been like, man, I wonder what, what that's like. It's one of the most exclusive clubs in the world. It costs $50,000 to join, and then it's $15,000 annually to keep up your membership but there's also a 14-year waiting list. Guess what? That door's not opening for you and me anytime soon. How about the Explorers Club? Anybody heard of the Explorers Club? This is based up in, in New York. Fees aren't bad con compared to the Club 33. You can pay, depending on your level, anywhere from $35 to $1,000 annually. You're like, okay, 35 bucks, I can spare that. Here's the problem. Here's their description. Our members and those qualified for membership are persons who carry out or assist in field science expeditions to study unknown or little-known destinations or phenomena in order to gain knowledge for humankind. 
so you have to like climb Mount Everest and discover new bacteria on your climb to qualify for the Explorers Club. You've got to go into to outer space and not like Elon or Jeff Bezos style. Like you've got to be an astronaut that NASA is saying is qualified to go to outer space to do some sort of scientific exploration. You do those things, hey, come join the Explorers Club, 35 bucks and you're in. That's the student discount, by the way. They actually do have a student discount. I looked it up. <laughs> then there's the Thermal Club. Any of y'all heard of the Thermal Club? It's in Palm Springs. Thermal Club costs $85,000 to join. Then you're paying between $14,000 and $56,000 a year to belong. What is the Thermal Club, you might ask? It's a private racetrack where you can go and drive your car as fast as you want to drive your car. And not only that, you have a personal garage and a personal mechanic to take care of your Lamborghini or your Ferrari while you're there. You can also buy a property and build a home in the th inside the property grounds of the Thermal Club for a cool $2 million while you're at it. Okay, those are clubs that we're not getting into. We're not gaining access to any of those anytime soon. But the, the access to the presence of God is open. You get that? If you're telling me, man, I want to go to the thermal club, I can't help you. There's way more than just you standing between you and the thermal club. There's 85K to start with. But if you come to me and you say, Pastor PJ, I want a closer relationship with Jesus, guess what? The only thing keeping you from a closer relationship with Jesus is you. That's why the author says, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near. Because the reality is our hearts have been sprinkled clean. Our consciences have been clean. We've been washed with the pure water of the word. Because of the new and living way that our, our high priest has opened up, we can come in with this true heart, with faithfulness, with undivided affections. Sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So let me ask you a question tonight. What keeps you back? What is keeping you from drawing near to the Lord? It's going to be different things for each of you. For some, it may be unconfessed sin. There's a barrier between you and your intimacy with the Lord because you are harboring unconfessed sin in your life. And, and here's what unconfessed sin in your life is. A, a sin that you are harboring, that you are unwilling to repent of, here's what that is. It just in, in cold black and white terms, y'all, that is something that you love more than Jesus. Something that you desire more than you want closeness with God. Some of you may be burdened with unwarranted condemnation, guilt, and shame. You haven't stepped into the full reality of the forgiveness that you've received at the cross. That Jesus has paid the penalty for your sins, past, present, and future, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. That you are forgiven, that you are righteous, that, that the great exchange has taken place. That God made Christ sin. Whose sin? Your sin and my sin. And in exchange, what did we get? We got the righteousness of Jesus so that we might be the righteousness of God. So you're here tonight, and one of the things keeping you back from being closer with the Lord is you feel unworthy. You feel a guilt. You feel a, a condemnation. You feel a shame. And you need to be reminded of a passage like Romans 8.1, which says, therefore, there's that now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you need to hold on to that promise, and you need to be relieved of that burden so that you can draw near to the Lord. Consider the Apostle Paul, right? At his hands, families were broken up, Christians were imprisoned, and some were even killed. And he's the one that wrote, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Maybe for some of you, what's keeping you back is fear. You're afraid to draw near. You're afraid that you're going to backslide. Or you're afraid that you're not going to be good enough. That God's not going to want you. Couldn't be further for the truth. God has loved you to the point of crucifying his son for you. He wants you to be close to him. You need not fear of rejection from the Father if you are in Christ. Another thing maybe that's holding you back is just plain laziness. 
you can't expect to draw near to God without a measure of disciplined intentionality. You can't go to bed tonight and pray, God, I want to wake up tomorrow closer to you than I am tonight. It, it doesn't work that way. If you want to draw near to the Lord, you need to be applying yourself and pursuing that relationship. You need to be spending time in the word of God, reading the Bible. Every day, Pastor? Yes, every day. Really, you want me to read the Bible every day? That sounds legalistic. No, I want you to love God enough that you want to hear from him every day. Uh, you, man, I'm, I'm so busy. Okay, let's, let's fast forward to your standing now before your Lord and Savior. You're dead and you're appearing before him. And he's like, what did you do with my 66 books? Ah, oh, man, Jesus, I was really busy down there. How's that going to fly? Yo, what's going to matter in your life 100 years from now? The investment you make into the word of God is going to matter more than any other investment you make, I promise you. And if you have some, so much going on in your life that you don't have time, literally you don't have time to read the Bible, cut something out. Because if you want to draw near to the Lord, you've got to be in the word of God. So often and for so many, your spiritual intimacy with, with the Lord boils down to your want to. Do you want to? Uh, so many times people are like, hey, I want to grow closer to, in my walk with the Lord. Can you recommend a book for me? I mean, sure, I'll, I'll throw a book title out there for you, but that's not going to get you closer to God. It comes down to, to the discipline to pursue that relationship with him, to spend time consistently in his word, to be praying, to be worshiping, to be filling your mind, to be setting your mind on the things above. Man, can I just challenge you guys to rethink social media apps just for a minute? They're such a time sucker, such a time waster. Talking with somebody the other day that jumped on Facebook for the first time in a while, and they were like, did you guys know about these things called reels? I said, yes, unfortunately I do, right? Because you can sit there and just do this, and before you know it, 10, 15, 20 minutes has passed. On What? On what? Y'all, the good news is that the sacrifice of Jesus, if you're sitting there going, I want to be closer to the Lord, the good news is the sacrifice of Jesus has opened the door. And things can change tonight. Tonight, they can change for you. There's nothing holding you back from closer, a closer relationship to the Lord than you. That's the only thing standing in your way. The command to draw near is then followed by the command to hold fast. Look at verse 23. In light of the fact that Jesus has opened the way, the new and living way, and we can enter the holy places, he says, let us then hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Hold fast. Commit. Stay the course. Be unwavering and unyielding. Do not bend. Strengthen your grip. Hold fast. Hold fast to what? The confession of our hope. What is the confession of our hope but the gospel? Because of Jesus and his atoning sacrifice on our behalf, let's all the more hold fast to our confidence in the gospel. Our second point tonight is this. Be committed to God's redemptive plan. Be committed to God's redemptive plan. Let us hold fast without wavering. One word in the Greek, without wavering, it, it means to be stable or set in place, unbending. It's used to describe enduring friendships, lasting friendships. You're ride or die, right? The people that you know, no matter what happens in your life, they're not going anywhere. They're going to be by your side. Let us hold fast the gospel that way. It's the concept of immutability. Hold fast to your confession so much that it, you are unchanging when it comes to your commitment and devotion to God. Is your confidence in God's redemptive plan for you immutable? Is it that rock steady? Is it unbending in the face of a culture that, that hates it, that despises it? 
Is it steadfast in the face of the trial that you're walking through right now? Is it firmly fixed in in the face of the the temptations that the world is going to bring your way to to see you walk away from that confidence? You're saying, look, the, 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 the way is open. The price has been paid. Our future is secure. So in the meantime, hold fast to the confession of your hope. Why? Why? Why, pastor? Why should I hold fast to the confession of my hope? Well, he says, for God who promised is faithful. For God who promised is faithful. So many promises in scripture to which God is faithful. Just a few. If any of you lacks wisdom, James 1.5, let him ask God who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given to him. It's a great promise right there, right? Ask of God and God will provide you wisdom. How about 1 Corinthians 10.13? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. It's a promise from God that when you are tempted, there's always a way of escape. God always includes a way of escape when you are tempted. It's a promise from God. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has, has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. There's a promise from the Father. I will never leave you or forsake you. Philippians 1.6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. You know what that's talking about? It's not talking about eternal security. We use it to talk about eternal security. That's not the right way to use that verse. Because in context, Paul is rejoicing in the partnership of the Philippians serving with him in the expansion of the the gospel, in getting the gospel out there. And Paul is telling the church in Philippi, look, you know what I'm confident of? The labors that you are laboring beside me with right now to share the gospel with people, I'm confident of this, that God is going to bring those works to completion, that they will be fruitful. Uh, That's a promise from God. A God who is faithful. But notice in our passage in Hebrews, we're, we're focused on our hope, right? Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope for the God who promised is faithful. Well, let's talk about hope for a little bit and how God describes that. How about John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4? Let your hearts not be troubled. Jesus is about to go die on the cross, by the way, when he's saying this. Let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house, you want some hope? Here you go. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with myself, that where I am going, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. There's hope for us in the promise that Jesus is preparing a place for us right now. That is part of the confession of our hope that we can hold fast to. And that God, who promised that, is faithful. How about John chapter 4, verses 13 through 14? We talked about this earlier, but here it is again. But let's think about it as far as the promise of hope. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, if you come to Jesus, he's saying about it. If you come to Christ, In faith and repentance, he will give you this well of water, this spring of water that will well up to eternal life. That's a promise. That's a hope-filled promise that we can bank on, that we can hold fast to our confession of hope because God who promised is faithful. About John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Again, it's the same concept here. Jesus will provide everything that we need. He will satisfy our hunger, satisfy our thirst. And he's not talking physically here. He's talking about spiritual hunger, that spiritual thirst. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. You want a verse that is about eternal security? Here you go. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. It's part of the confession of our hope that we hold fast to 
And then a passage that we studied a while back, Hebrews 6.19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the, what? Soul. A hope that enters in to the inner place behind the curtain. So we have the hope that Jesus is, Hebrews 7.25, interceding for us so that we who draw near to God through him will be saved to the uttermost. That is a hope that we have. And y'all, you can bank on it. Why? Because the God who promised is faithful. And so let us hold fast our confession. How are y'all doing at remembering promises like this on a daily basis? You guys ever see that movie Free Solo with Alex Honnold when he's on the side of the mountain like a crazy person holding on to literally like nothing? And he's got what hanging off his bag? A chalk bag. As you guys are scaling the cliffs in this life, your chalk bag are the promises of God. It's what enables you to, to keep your grip. So that you remember that God has promised and that God is faithful so you can hold on as the world is buffeting you. As the world wants to knock you off and knock you down. You remember that God is faithful. You remember his promises are true. You remember that he always keeps his word. And you hold fast to the promises. Well, what's our guarantee? It's Christ. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us freely. How will he not also give us everything we need? Father's already given you the greatest thing he could ever give you. That's the death of his son. For him to keep the rest of his promises, it's child's play for him. These first two points about drawing near and holding fast to our confidence go hand in hand because the further you are away from the Lord, the more doubt is going to creep into your life. Doubt about God's goodness. Doubt about God's faithfulness. Doubt about your standing before the Lord. And so if you want to increase your confidence in your hope, Increase your confidence in the God who is faithful. Go back to that first point there and draw near to the Lord. Be committed to God's redemptive plan. Okay, but I want you to, for a second here, in just what we've looked at so far, before we get into verses 24 and 25, I want you to, to notice the, the context here. Notice the, the pronouns that our author has been using in these passages. What does it say in 1019? We have this confidence. 1020, he opened this for us. 1021, and since we have. 1022, let us draw near with our hearts sprinkled clean, our bodies washed. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Notice he's writing about these things, and, and yes, there's been an individual focus to this point, but it's an individual focus within the context of the, the church, the body of Christ. You can't do Christianity without the local church. Can't. There's, the Christian who says, I'm part of the church big C, but not the local church, is not a part of the church at all. To be a Christian is to be involved in the local church. It's to be involved in a community of believers. And so we draw near together corporately as individually we pursue a closeness with the Lord. We hold fast together corporately as individual, we, individually we remind ourselves of his promises and of his faithfulness to those promises. The focus on this passage hasn't been on the individual but on the corporate so it should come as no surprise that our author now turns directly to the local church as he continues with his application and how Christ's sacrificial death should impact our relationships with one another. Our final point tonight is this. Actively love your church fam. Actively love your church fam. Verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider. This means this has to be intentional. It doesn't come naturally. You're going to have to give effort to this. 
Let us reckon, let us take a, a, a counting of. Let us be intentional, give thought to, consider what? Consider how to stir up one another. It's one of my favorite lines in all of the Bible. Because he takes a word that's normally meant to be negative and he makes it positive. To stir up is to provoke or irritate or exasperate. It's your little brother, your little sibling that just taps you on the shoulder all the time. And you're like, will you just stop it? Or the one that's put the finger right here and it's like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. That's stirring you up. Okay, the author here is saying, stir up towards what? Love and good works. You guys need to be sanctified irritants in each other's lives. You need to be sanctifyingly annoying to one another, is what this author is saying. And you need to be giving intentional thought to that. Whereas your mom and dad growing up didn't want you inventing new ways to annoy your brothers and sisters. Look, Jesus is saying, figure out how to annoy your brothers and sisters towards godliness. Spend time thinking about that. He wants you to do that. We need to do that. Let's consider how to stir one another up to what? To, to love and good works. Love, it's, it's the Greek word agape, and I'm not going to make too much of his use of that, but it is the, the, the word that's used of the Father's love for us, that sacrificial fatherly love that he has for us, that affection that he shows us. We need to stir one another up towards a greater love. Well, love for who? Love for God or love for others? Yes, both. Stir us up to love and good works. The word good is the Greek word kalos, which, which has the idea of a moral or ethical goodness. You need to provoke godliness in your brothers and sisters in Christ. Encourage them to be obedient to the Lord. It's a, a word that, that can also be translated beautiful. Be intentional. Give intentional thought to how you can encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ to live beautiful lives in the sight of God. I look out my office windows, depending on how my office is arranged. So every once in a while. And I get to see the mountains in the distance. And I love this time of year because the mountains that I get to see in the distance are capped with, with snow. And the cold weather makes it so that you can actually see because there's no smog right now. Or if it's there, it's somehow science happens and the cold kills it. But I love that sight because it's such a, an amazingly beautiful picture. Y'all, are you helping your church family live in such a way that God looks at their life as beautiful the way that I look out that window and see those mountains in the distance? Are you helping your brothers and sisters in Christ live beautifully in the eyes of God? How do you do that? Text messages? Phone calls? Phone calls. Nobody talks on the phone. Try it. I mean, people spend a lot of money on these things, and one of the main purposes is to be able to talk to people like with your voice. Show up. You got a brother or sister in Christ you haven't seen in a little while? They're ghosting you? Swing by. Knock on their door. Hey, I haven't, I haven't seen you in a while. Are you okay? Or during your small groups, you've got a, a, a brother or sister in Christ who shares a prayer request. Follow up, guys. You get that prayer request on Sunday night that they're just discouraged or a family member that they are very close with is, is struggling with COVID and it doesn't look good. Text them on Monday and say, hey, how are they doing? Any updates? How can I be continuing to pray specifically? If you've got a brother or sister in your small group who's sitting there going, man, I'm just struggling to be consistent in my time in the word. I'm struggling to be consistent in my time in prayer. Be a sanctified irritant. Pull them aside afterwards and say, I'm going to text you every day this week to ask you if you've been in the word today. Hey, why don't we pray together each day this week? I'm going to call you on the phone and let's just spend five minutes praying together every day this week because you need to be praying and I want to be there and I want to pray with you. 
mean, there's, there's all kinds of ways to do it. But it's not going to come naturally. You've got to consider how. You've got to give thought to. That's why it says up there, actively love your church family. Because you have to be proactive on this. You have to be proactive on this. Y'all, if you want something to distinguish this group, start doing this more. Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, and he said, look, I don't have any need necessarily to, to write to you about loving one another because you guys are doing that well. But you know what Paul said? He said, so excel still more. I love that phrase. Don't settle. Go harder. Go more. You may be wondering what this has to do with the sacrifice of Jesus. And if you are, I'm glad that you asked. Matthew 22, 36 through 40 is a passage that I continually find myself going back to. But it's the passage where the religious expert, the, the expert in the law comes up to Jesus and says, uh, uh, Rabbi, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, well, it's the Shema. Hear, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your with all your soul and with all your mind. Heart, soul, and mind. Love the Lord your God with everything that you are. Love God. That's the greatest commandment. Oh, and you want to know the second? You didn't ask, but here it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two things hang all of the law and the prophets. Love God and love others. That's our, that's our purpose here. That's what we're here to do. In fact, Shift to another passage that I find myself in often, and that's John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus is in the upper room before going to the cross, right? And he's with his disciples, and he just washed their feet. And he sits there and he says, hey, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Y'all, that statement didn't have anything to do with the washing of the feet. It had everything to do with what was about to happen, and that was the cross, And he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so that's what all of this has to do with the death of Jesus. Jesus died to set us apart as a people for himself so that we would love God most and love others as an overflow of that. By the way, quick dating sidebar on that. If you guys are looking for somebody or you're in a relationship, ask yourself, does this person love Jesus more than me? And if the answer is no, drop them immediately. They have to love Christ most. Well, having the confidence that we have because of the sacrificial death of Jesus on our behalf We need to give that thought to how we can be a bird in the saddle of our brothers and sisters in Christ. You have been given divine permission to be sanctifyingly annoying to one another. Use it. But here's the deal. You can't do that very well if you're not committed to being here consistently. And I'm not just talking at the bridge. I'm talking about church, right? Like this isn't church, y'all, right? This is an extension of church, right? Church is when we gather corporately together as the body of Christ, either Saturday night or Sunday morning. Being here is is part of it, but it's not all of it. So he goes on, he says, look, you need to consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And then he goes on, he says, not neglecting to meet together. I mean, it's a good weekend for you guys to have shown up. Because this will hurt a little bit less. Not neglecting to meet. Let's take off the gloves a little bit. Y'all, if life gets busy and church is the first thing that you drop, you're doing it wrong. Jesus didn't die for you, for you to show up when it's convenient for you. Jesus didn't die for you so that you can keep everyone at arm's length. And not really get to know people or let people get to know you. Jesus didn't die for you so that you can sit back and and snipe everyone that fails to live up to your standards. Jesus didn't die for you to, to just go through the motions. 
He didn't die for you to ignore the spiritual gift that you've been given to build up the body of Christ. Not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing. Y'all, don't be some. Don't be some. I can't stress this enough. Involvement in the local church is one of the most important things you will ever do in your entire life. Acts 20, 28. Jesus there says that he, or Paul, speaking about Jesus, says that Jesus bought the church with his blood. Church is not a suggestion. Church is not an option. This is what Christ died for. This, for us being together as brothers and sisters in Christ and spurring one another on and loving one another that way. He didn't die for your career. He didn't die for your education. He didn't die for your family. He died for the church. And look, if if push comes to shove, I just spent a weekend preaching about the the church preparing for persecution. And if push comes to shove, y'all, this is going to be necessary. We are going to need one another in ways that we have no idea how much we're going to need one another. And the switch can't just be flipped when the heat gets turned up. We got to start building into that right now. It's too easy for us to be so casual and flippant about church. Not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, don't be some, but encouraging one another. To encourage is to implore, to exhort, to appeal, to, to stir up. Encouraging one another as you see the day drawing near. The day here is a a reference to the the return of Christ. When there's no more time left on the clock. When we can't say, oh, well, I'll be more committed later. I'll build close relationships with, with people in the church later. I'll be more involved in my small group later. I'll open up and share prayer requests later. He's saying, look, there's a day coming when there is no more later. And so get, get busy doing it now because the clock's ticking and eventually it's going to run out. And so be encouraging each other as that day draws near for us to be living in light of the fact that that day is drawing near. Living pursuing the Lord, living drawing near to God, living holding fast to the confession of our hope, living stirring one another up to love and good works. Y'all, we need each other. We need each other to be sanctified irritants, making sure we are living ready to meet our Savior who gave everything that we might be forgiven. So my question as we wrap up is this, what are you doing with the information that you've received? What are you doing with the knowledge that you've been given that, uh, about the, the superior sacrifice of Jesus, that the new and living way is open for you? Are you drawing near Are you approaching? Are you holding fast? Are you stirring up? If not, why not? What's holding you back tonight? Just a minute here, I'm going to pray. I'd like us to to go back and, and do come to the altar again maybe as our our closer. And then tonight, you guys are going to break into small groups. And listen, y'all, I I wrote the question so I know. There's some questions that are going to get in your kitchen a little bit tonight. And let me just beg you, don't just give the surface safe answer. Don't give the surface safe answer because you're not hurting anyone but yourself with that. Lean into your small group. You guys have heard me talk about your small group leaders. I I will champion them to the the end of the day. They have a genuine care and concern and love for you. And can I tell you one thing that grieves them, because I've talked to them about this, is when they know that you're holding back and that you don't want to open up for whatever reason it may be. So let's all in this room tonight agree that we're going to enter into and, and, and 
be a part of in our small groups, a, a circle of trust where we're going to be willing to be vulnerable because we understand that we do need each other. That we need to be willing to look at each other in the, the eyes and say, hey, look, I need you to be a spiritual irritant in my life. Will you hold me accountable? Will you do this for me? You're going to talk about where you're at with your relationship with the Lord. How close you are and how you can draw even closer. Take this seriously, please. Let me pray. God, we ask for a rich, deep time in these small groups tonight where we're honest and transparent about what's going well, what's going wrong, what's something that we need to grow in, something that we need to put off, something that we need to excel still more in. God, I pray that we would be willing to be on, uh, open and vulnerable and transparent. God, none of us in this room are perfect. All of us have room to grow. And there's not a single person in this room that's going to look down their nose at anyone else. But rather, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We need one another to, to encourage one another, to spur one another on to love and good works. God, we thank you so much that the promise is true, that you have opened the new and living way. We thank you for the reality that the only thing keeping us from drawing even closer to you is, is us. And so God, draw us, work in us, cause our affections to be stirred even more for Jesus so that we will want him even more, so that we will draw near even more and see that he is better than anything else. And hasten the day that we are with him forever in eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together as we close out our time singing one more song together.